a seven-year-old who was becoming quite knowledgeable about the Bible and had just heard the Christmas story read from her grandmother's Bible, stopped grandmother and asked, Graham, which virgin was the mother of Jesus, the Virgin Mary or the King James Virgin? (laughs) The Virgin Mary. The Virgin Mary. You know, we're so used to kind of saying that, it it simply rolls off our lips without any sense of wonder. Our response really should be one of silent awe. We just said that we believe in Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born by the Virgin Mary. What are we affirming? That Jesus was born of a human mother without a human father. He became flesh through being conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and Mary's womb. That is staggering. There's no statement like this in any religion. The incarnation has been described as this mysterious miracle at the heart of historic Christianity. This mysterious miracle at the heart of historic Christianity. Television interviewer and host Larry King was once asked, if you could select any one person across all of history to interview, who would it be? And Mr. King's answer was that he would interview Jesus Christ. When the questioner followed with, and what would you like to ask Jesus Christ? King replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin-born, because the answer to that question would define history for me. Later on, King added that he was not being facetious when he said that. Conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary is history. It defines history. The intersecting of the supernatural and the natural. What a wonder it is. Einstein put it, He who can no longer pause to wonder is as good as dead. We are pausing. We are pausing this Christmas season to wonder at what really happened on the first Christmas. We are so bombarded with holiday symbols. The tree, the the one who has opened sleigh, the inflatable Santa, the ornaments and the beautiful nativity scenes. We're inundated of, of, of reminders of how we can be of good cheer and get into the spirit of giving. There are hundreds of of Christmas movies on Hallmark and Lifetime. There's the miracle on 34th Street, and it's a wonderful life shown over and over and over again. (laughs) One writer expressed it this way, however. He said, there's nothing necessarily wrong with any of these things. But without a spark of wonder... And awe to light the way, Christmas can become a predictable paint-by-numbers exercise, seemingly with nothing new to offer. Reminded of the dad who sat his family down to give them the, the, the Christmas motivational speech. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've done this. 
The family was all getting ready to set up the Christmas decorations. And he said to his family, he sat him down, and he said to them, Now listen, family. This Christmas, we're going to do things a little bit different. We're going to do this, and and we're going to do that. We're not going to get all hung up on commercialism. We're going to have the best Christmas ever. Oh, he had their full attention. He thought, this is going even better than I planned. They seemed to be hanging on his every word, so he figured he'd continue. He said, family, will you commit with me to have the best Christmas ever, to make this the best Christmas ever? The six-year-old chimed in and said, but dad, how could we possibly improve on the first one? (laughs) It's true. That's a great question. It's a great question. How can we improve upon the first Christmas? You can't. After all the Christmas sermons that I've given over over 20 plus years, that I've given throughout the Christmas season, how can I add freshness and improve on the story? I can't. But I can call you to reclaim the wonder of Christmas. I can urge you to have a wonderful Christmas. We've been embarking on the wonder of Christmas Our first Sunday, the wonder was that Christmas is God's great confirmation of all his promises. They are yes in Christ. Last week, as we looked at the Christmas list, the genealogy of Christ, we lost ourselves in the wonder of grace. Matthew 1, 1 through 17 is in fact a genealogy of grace. This morning, we're going to be looking at Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 1. You can turn there. We'll be focusing on it in a moment. Verses 26 through 38, the section that Dennis read for us earlier. You can be turning there to Luke 1 if you're not there. But what I want us to recapture this morning is that the Christmas story points us most powerfully to this truth. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. This passage here in Luke 1 speaks to how God came and who came of it. How God came and who came of it. And of course it speaks to the difference it ought to make in our lives. Well, first of all, let's look at how God came. How God came. Try not to check out. We've seen and read this and heard this so many times. Stay with me. In Luke chapter 1, the most amazing announcement in human history is about to be made to an insignificant person in an insignificant town. We see that the time had come for the most impossible thing to be done. God was going to break into the world by doing the impossible, by entering, by choosing to enter through a virgin. You see, after 400 plus years of silence from heaven, now heaven is speaking. Let's read it again. Look with me at verse 21 of Luke chapter 1. Luke 21, verse 26. If I said anything else, don't believe it. Verse 26 is where we're looking. I I really don't know. But 26 is where we're looking. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin placed to be married, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. 
The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then we read these ver- words in verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Might this be an understatement? <laughs> it says, Mary wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Now, you need to remember here that an angel showing up at this stage of God's history wasn't happening. It wasn't a common thing. It wasn't happening at all, as best we can tell. Angels haven't been been breaking into lives and delivering messages from God for quite some time. So consider this from Mary's perspective. No one had seen an angel in 500 plus years. Here was a a teenage girl making wedding plans, counting down to that big day, going about her business, and an angel breaks into her world and is going to explain how God would come into this world. Yeah, she was afraid. She was likely shaking at the core of her being. That's why the angel says in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, as I referenced last week, the word favor here means the free bestowal of grace. Remember, Mary isn't sinless. Mary isn't to be worshipped. She is in need of grace and is a recipient of grace. And the very first thing Gabriel says to Mary is that she's about to receive God's grace. She doesn't deserve this honor. Yet of all other virgins in Nazareth, God has chosen Mary, this simple, ordinary, humble young girl who would be given a great honor and privilege. That's where Gabriel goes next, how God came. He says in verse 31, follow along, verse 31, he says, You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name, very common name, by the way, Jesus, Joshua. You will be with child and give birth to a son. Now, Mary understood this word from the angel as being very soon and not a statement of something that was going to happen sometime after she was married. She understood the implication. She understood what the angel was saying. You're going to be pregnant here soon. You will be with child and give birth to a son. Now look down with me to Mary's reply to the announcement in verse 34. She has a little question about the details here. And Mary asks in verse 34, how how will this be? How will this be? It's a legitimate question. It's a very practical question. How will this be, Mary asks the angel. See, Mary had something far more mundane on her mind, but I'm a virgin. Whereas King James Version has it, how will this be seeing I know not a man? How will this be seeing I know not a man? Now, I like that because it forces us to slow down a bit when reading it. Mary knew not a man. 
Mary knows she had no physical intimacy with Joseph. Mary knows she has not cheated on Joseph and slept with any other guy. Mary understood all of that. She knew that. She is wondering just exactly how God plans to do this if all those things were were true, and they were. How will this be? How can I be pregnant when I haven't even been with a man, is what she's saying. Her question is not one of disbelief and doubt, but of how. Now, I want to go back to a previous section here when the same angel went to Zechariah and Elizabeth to announce that they were going to have a son who would be John the Baptist. This was also a miracle. Since Elizabeth was barren and she and her husband were up there in years. And do you remember uh, Zechariah's response to the news and what happened to Zechariah? Well, let me remind you. Go back to verse uh, 13, still in this chapter, chapter 1, verse 13. But the angel, but the angel said to him, to Zechariah, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. And then Gabriel explains John the Baptist's role as forerunner to Christ. Well, but remember, how does Zechariah respond? Well, Zechariah, like Mary, has a question of his own. Verse 18. Zechariah asks the angel, verse 18, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Which is just a nice way of saying she's old too. How can I be sure of this? Mary asked, how will this be? Similar, yet different. I say that because of what happens next. Remember, the angel answered, I am Gabriel. I I don't know. It seems like he's kind of pulling rank a little bit on Zechariah. I am Gabriel. You know who you're talking to? He goes on and say, I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now, I don't know the tone of this, and, but, but I get this sense, and it's quite possible I'm reading my own gift of sarcasm into this. But I get this sense that, that, that Gabriel is saying, do you know who you're talking to here? I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God all the time. Zechariah, how many times do you stand in the presence of God? I mean, Zechariah, what do you have to say about that? Answer me. Never mind. (laughs) Don't answer that. You're going to be silent. And verse 20 says, And not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. What was the issue for Zechariah? Why is his questioning different than Mary's? Because Mary was asking, how will this be? How? Zechariah is asking, How can I be sure of this? He doubts whether God can even do this since they are up there in age. Similar to Sarah's response of laughter and unbelief when told her that that, that she and Abraham would be giving birth to a son in their old age. But I ask you, can, can you relate to Zechariah here? Can you? I can. I mean, what if we became mute each time we doubted God's ability to do something? I have nothing to say. 
I mean, Lord, I believe you died. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe, I believe, I believe. But how do I know you can do this? I believe, I believe, I believe. But how do I know that you are powerful enough to work this in my marriage? How do I know that you are powerful enough to help me overcome this sin? How do I know that you are powerful enough to, 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 whatever it is for you, fill in the blank. How do I know, God, you can do this? How do I know? Zechariah's how can I be sure of this was a demand for proof. Whereas Mary asks how the promise can come true since her status as a virgin. Mary doesn't doubt God can do it. She is simply wondering how he will do this since she has not slept with Joseph. Hers was not of doubt, but his was. You see, it's one thing to wonder how God is going to carry out his promise. It's another thing completely to question whether he can do it. Here's the wonder of Christmas from this scene right here. Four words. How will this be? How will this be? That's the wonder. How will God work it out? I know he can do it, but how will he work it out? How? I'm just going to wait in anticipation, expectation to see how he does it. How? And we miss out so much in our Christian journey, in our adventure of faith, when we refuse to surrender our need to know how God will do it. When we reduce the Christian life to a bunch of formulas to logical analysis and skepticism that says only seeing is believing, we shrink, we do not grow, and the wonder and awe of how God works is lost. How will this be? That's the wonder of Christmas. That's the wonder of our walk of faith. How's God going to do it? Can't wait to see. Don't allow your need to know how overshadow your attitude of amazement. The virgin conception doesn't fit the modern paradigm of how things are supposed to work. And that is true of God all the time. How God came invites us to expect the unexpected. Bruce Wilkinson speaks of a time when he visited Israel, he said, I was on a ship that docked on the, la- on the Isle of Patmos. I was so lonely for my family, and I began to walk streets of Patmos until I found a coffee shop. And, and so I went in there, I sat down, and I prayed. Lord, I am in the middle of nowhere. I don't know anyone. Send someone who needs you. But the guy at the next table said, do you want some coffee? I'll buy are you off that ship, he said to him. Yes, I said, I moved over, then I moved over to his table, and he, and he bought me a cup of coffee. And then I asked him, what's the matter? He said, what do you mean, what's the matter? I said, I don't know, what's the matter? He answered, well, I just left my wife, and I'm not going back. 
I'm going to try to go on that ship to get to the next island so I can fly out of here. Wilkerson then says to him, would you believe that, I'm all the, that I am all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, for one reason, to get you back to your wife? Impossible. Impossible, he said. Wilkerson said, let me return the favor of the coffee. And for the next hour, God broke through, and that young man came to know Jesus Christ. How will this be? Wilkinson said, I told him, if you make it up with your wife before the boat leaves, you come wave to me. Oh, it will never happen, he said. You're a miracle. Give God a chance. And then Wilkinson says, I got on the boat, and I was praying like crazy. I went to the back of the boat overlooking the harbor, and I'll never forget what I saw. Down off the rocky cliff came this young couple holding hands and waving. Folks, God can do the impossible. How? I don't know. I don't know. But I believe he can. And how God came declares that he still works in ways that are mysterious and inexplicable. Well, who came of it? Let's deal with the second part of it briefly. Who came of it? Look at the angel's answer to her question of how this will be, verse 35. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, it was common knowledge in that day that Mary was pregnant before she married Joseph. There were only two options then. It was an illegitimate birth or it was a virgin conception. It's one or the other. Gabriel makes it clear that this will not come by human action, but rather by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all Mary has by explanation to her question was that it would be a supernatural conception. Now, the divine miracle technically here is the virgin conception. The birth itself was ordinary, if you will. It took place as do all births. So we speak of a virgin birth, we're really referring to the virgin conception, for that's where the miracle lies. The birth would be normal, the conception is supernatural. But who came of this virgin conception is the whole point. Gabriel says here, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And it forces us to ask, whose son is he? The Pharisees, when pressed by Jesus, were asked, whose son is he? They answered, the son of David. But that that is as far as they went. They were right in calling him the son of David, but they were wrong in declaring that he was only the son of David. The Pharisees would never go that far to call Jesus the son of God, for they considered any claim to be the son of God blasphemous. Now, last week, when we looked at the genealogy of grace, Matthew went to great lengths to prove that Jesus was from the line of David. He began his gospel by stating that Jesus Christ was the son of David. Well, here in Luke, Gabriel speaks of the one born is the son of God. So whose son is he? He's David's son as to legal descent, not physically. He's as to Jesus' rightful reign on the throne. It speaks to his humanity, that Jesus was fully man. Yes, all of that. And he was God's son as to his deity. He was fully God. Gabriel speaks of both of his humanity and deity. Look back with me at verse 32. 
He says, when he, Jesus, will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. You see, God's son, David's son. David's son is to his humanity. God's son is to his deity. You must have God-man. It's the mysterious miracle which is at the heart of historic Christianity. The virgin conception is foundational to the Christian faith. The virgin conception is not negotiable, nor is it peripheral. It is the heart and soul of the gospel. If Jesus had a human father, he was just a man. And if he was just a man, there is no gospel, for there is no Savior. There is no salvation. We are still dead in our sins. The one who came of this virgin conception was a human child and the divine Son of God. It had to be that way. So when Mary asks, how will this be? How can a virgin have a child? The answer is the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called the Son of God. He is the Son of the Most High because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And yes, Mr. Larry King, it does define history. It does. What difference does it make? What's the application to our lives? It's simply this. What do we make of all this passage? Simply this. Don't get distracted by the how, but instead lose yourself in the wonder of how God works. Don't get distracted by the how, but instead lose yourself in the wonder of how God works. Gabriel gives the only answer we need to our question and wondering of how. He says in verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. For nothing is impossible with God. Let that sink in. The words accompany this promise to one who is a virgin. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. How will this be? He tells her how, for nothing is impossible with God. Your relative Elizabeth will give birth after years of being barren and in her old age. How will this be? He tells her how, for nothing is impossible with God. And if I understand it correctly, nothing means Nothing. The angel's answer was that the limitless power of God would cause the impossible to become possible. Where do I need that to show up in my life? Well, before we go there, we need to remember this isn't to be used then to get anything you want and when you want it. God doesn't promise that he will do the impossible, the miracle in your life, as you figure it should happen. You can't take this statement and apply it to anything you want to see happen. And go, yeah, you can claim it, and you can throw it out there, and you can speak it over and over again. It doesn't matter. You can't do that. He promises that whatever he says he will do, he has the power and ability to carry it out. So don't go throwing that around. Get yourself in this box and say, nothing is impossible with God. I just quit my job. I left everything. Nothing is impossible with God. You don't claim, don't claim that. It may not be true. Unless you've got a real clear indication of that from the Lord. 
And if that's the case, he will carry it out. He will meet your needs. Now, by the way, I'm not thinking about or speaking to any specific situation in our church right now, just so you know. That in all matters of daily living and all matters related to our moving forward as a church, don't get distracted by the how, but instead let's lose ourselves in the wonder of how God works. I say this because we can get so consumed. I can get so consumed with the how. How will this be? That isn't my worry. That isn't my problem. Leave the particulars with him. Don't get distracted by the how, but instead lose yourself in the wonder of how God works. We need to concern ourselves less with the how and more concerned with what our response ought to be. What should be our response? Listen to Mary's words. These are absolutely amazing. Listen to her response. She replies in verse 38. I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. And she goes on and simply says, let it be, let it be. Not the way the Beatles meant it, but you know what I mean. Let it be. May it be to me as you have said. Now, do you see what makes Mary's response so incredible here? I want us to get this. As the angel is speaking to her, do you suppose it crossed her mind what this would mean for her to be found with child before her wedding day? I mean, a child born out of wedlock is so common today. We've lost the force of the implications of this in Mary's day. We hear so much of teen pregnancy that Mary's predicament is somewhat overlooked and forgotten. It was well known that Mary was already pregnant when Joseph married her. Think about the nine months of awkward explanations. The whisperings around her as she walked by the people of the village. The lingering smell of scandal in the air. The shame of living among the skeptics who could clearly see the changing shape of her body. Going, Virgin. Think about it. As an angel is telling her how this would be, she had to be thinking, Oh my, what in the world am I going to tell Joseph? I don't want to make that call to my parents. What about Joseph's family? I think they liked me. What are they going to think of me now? Might I even be stoned for what others are going to assume? Do you see it? She willingly accepts God on his terms, and I might add, regardless of personal cost. For her to say yes to this would be to put her at great risk of scandal and scorn. For Mary to say yes to God meant that she would say no to fearing people and worrying about their opinions. She was willing to risk her reputation to do God's will. Am I? Are you? May it be as you said. That needs to be our position right there. It's the old, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. We don't need a second opinion. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Don't go anywhere else. Where do you need to respond as Mary did by saying, I am the Lord's servant? May it be to me, Lord, as you have said, no buts, no but how. May it be to me as you have said. And I love the final words of verse 38. It says, and the angel left her. 
There's nothing more to say. Hold on. Broke into Mary's world, changed the world upside down. Oh, I'm leaving now. But he leaves Mary, who has been thrust into the amazing power of God. She's now in position to witness how God works. Different than maybe most of us. Wow, how will this be? I'm going to watch this. The virgin conception invites us to let go of the need to know how and instead lose ourselves in the amazement and awe as to how God works because God's working. And the Christmas story said as an opera, Amal and the night visitors. Three wise men are on their way to Bethlehem. They come to the home of a poor woman who has a little boy named Amal. Amal is crippled. Amal cannot walk without a crutch. One evening, their humdrum existence was interrupted by a loud knocking at their door. Amal, who had the habit of fabricating stories, went to answer the door. He went to the door in his crutch, and he came back, and he said, Mama, a king is here. She lashed him with her tongue for exaggerating so much and sent him back to the door. He went back on his crutch to the door, and he came back a second time. He said, Mama, there are two kings out there. He was in big trouble then. So for the third time, she sent him back to the door, and he went with his crutch all the way to the door, and he came back a third time. He said, Mama, there are three kings out there. Well, eventually, after all kinds of conversation, the three wise men come in, and the mom's impressed with them, particularly impressed with the gold they carried. So she tries to steal some of the golds, but in the uproar of her attempted theft, one of the wise men said to her, noting her plight of need, you can keep the golds. The babe we're going to worship doesn't need it. By then she was caught up in the spirit of generosity. He says, no, 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 I would never keep that gold. Take it to the baby king, and if I had anything to send myself, I would send it. And then comes the most touching moment of Amal and the night visitors. Amal, sensing what was happening all around him, sensing he had nothing at all to send with the kings to this, to the king of kings, but wanting to send something, he decided, I'll send my crutch. The one thing that was indispensable to him, he was giving it away. So he lifted up his crutch and he gave it to the wise men. He gave what he had. He, he gave it personally. He gave it completely. He wasn't concerned with the personal cost, but instead he gave what he could. How will this be? What now? How will he get around? How will he stand? How? The miracle then occurred. His mother noticed at first that Amal could walk now. He could stand alone. He was healed. He didn't even limp anymore. Oh, the wonder of how God works. Might he be asking of you? Might he be asking of me? Might he be asking of us to give him our crutch of the need to know and lose ourselves in the wonder of what he just might do when we give it all? Maybe. 
Because when we do that, loved ones, we can then watch God work. Don't put it in some mathematical equation. Don't try and figure it all out. Just say, here it is, God, I give you my heart. The wonder of God, what God might do when we do that. Because for nothing is impossible with God. Let's pray.